1 Chronicles chapter 21. Let's start at verse 21, and we'll read tonight through verse 28. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said to David, Take it to thee. Let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. And king David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this crowd. And Father, I thank you for these people, many driven long ways tonight to be in your house. And Father, we thank you for these missionaries. And Father, for Brother Josh Lee and Brother Matichera and Father, those that you're using in this generation to get your word across the planet. And Father, we pray once again over the next few nights that you would stir us. Father, we know the time is short and there's so much left to do. And Father, we thank you for the advantages that you've given us in this generation. We thank you for Brother Eric in the ministry of radio. Father, for those countries that are closed and those villages that are cut off and yet they're still hearing the gospel by way of radio. Father, we pray that we would be more fervent, more zealous, more sacrificial than we've ever been to get the gospel out across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want you to fix your focus for just a minute on the last few words of verse 24 when David said, I want to pay the full price. I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offering, look what it says, without cost. I want to preach tonight on this subject, let it cost me something. You look at the story for a minute, you see that David had sinned, he'd numbered the people, and God was angry, it displeased the Lord greatly. And he offers David three choices of punishment. In verse 12, he says, you can choose between three years of famine three months to be destroyed before thy foes, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land. David does the right thing, the wise thing, throws himself upon the mercy of God, and God sends an angel and great pestilence, and 70,000 men fall as a result. David is brokenhearted. He's repenting over his sin. He wants to make a sacrifice. He needs a place, so he goes and offers Ornan to buy his threshing floor. And we see a little bit of an argument that we'll explain here in just a few minutes. But at the end of the argument, David wins out and says, I refuse to give to God something that costs me nothing. Now I'm concerned in this generation because I'm convinced of this. We've seen a wave of missions over the past 20 years. And... Uh, Missions giving has gone up. Missionaries have been sent. But in this generation, we've made more money than we've ever made in our lives. And things are changing. 
Now, I know we talk about the economy and how bad it is, but in reality, we're still living pretty well. And the amazing thing is, the United States of America has sustained the missions program around the world and sent men out and financed that mission. And in reality, it's cost us very little. We still live in nice homes and drive nice vehicles, wear nice clothes and eat nice food and live a nice life despite all that we've done for worldwide missions. And I think in reality, we've done, we've even financed missions in the past 20 years with it costing us very little. We've made sure to budget, we've even made sure to claim on our faith promise, in our faith promise amount, we've made absolute for sure that it didn't really alter our lifestyle or eliminate too many luxuries. And here's what God says, Leviticus 22, 20 through 24, when he speaks of sacrifice. Now, the very meaning of sacrifice means giving something of great value that comes with a great cost. Here's what God said about a sacrifice. Whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall you not offer. For it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offereth the sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Now look what it says in verse 22. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or scurvy or scabbed, ye shall not offer these things unto the Lord. Uh, I wonder how much of that which we've given to God has been blind, maimed, broken, scabbed, and blemished. Now hear me out tonight. Because uh, we want to make sure that the cost of our giving is very low. Look what it says in verse 23. Either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous or lacking in his parts that thou mayest thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall ye make any offering thereof in your land. How many ever noticed in the Bible when God talks about giving, a biblical giving is sacrificial giving, giving that costs the giver something. The widow with Elijah, don't look there, but let me read the text. Remember, Elijah comes to this woman and she says, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake because that's what he asked for something to eat. She said, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil. That's all I have. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and for my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. And she went, she did according to the saying of Elijah, that is biblical giving. That cost her something. That was everything she had. The widow in the temple that gave her last night, here's what Christ said, this widow of her want did cast in all she had 
even what? All her living. The churches of Macedonia, it says, out of their deep poverty, they abounded under the riches of their liberality. Mary anointing the head of Christ with the alabaster box, the spike nard, 300 pence a year's wages. She broke it out, poured it out over Christ. And he said, preacher, where are you going with this? David went to Ordin and said, I want to buy your threshing floor. I need it offer for a sacrifice. And Ornan said, take it. It's all yours. And David, if he were the modern day Baptist, would have said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Discounted giving. Faith promise that doesn't cost me much. And if we're honest, listen, this is the obstacle. This is the problem. And watch when the Obamacare really goes into effect. And watch his taxes go up. And watch his income goes down. Watch the first thing that's going to be cut out of people's budget is missions giving because we want to participate as long as it doesn't cost us that much. Now, here's what I like about both of these men in this story. Both of them wanted to give an offering that actually cost them something. Now, look at the conversation that takes place in verse 22. David says to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it to me, what's he saying? For the full price. And Ornan, how does he respond in verse 23? He says, no David, take it to thee. Boy, wouldn't it be good if we had young people talking this way to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, their Heavenly Father. Take it to the O Lord, everything that I have. Uh, do that which is good in your eyes. I give you the oxen for a burnt offering, the threshing instruments. You can use them for firewood, the wheat for the meat offering. Now look what he says. I give it all. Don't you think God is sick and tired of people that give a little here and a little there but never truly want to give it all? I love reading mission stories. I love reading about C.T. Studd, Cricketeer and Pioneer. How many of you ever read that book? Here was a man with an education. Here was a man with a future in sports. Here was a man that received in his youth an inheritance of 29,000 pounds. And that was a long time ago. That was a large fortune. And he gave every single penny of it away. 5,000 to Mr. Moody and 5,000 to the Salvation Army in India and 5,000 to George Mueller and 5,000 until he didn't have a penny left. And then he went up to China and to India and to Africa. But his mentality was, God, I want to give you everything that I have. It's amazing how few people want to do that. Or they say, God, you know, you can have a little bit of my pocketbook, but you certainly can't have my life. Here's what I'm starting to realize, uh, Brother Camilleri, as I preach missions conferences and I study more about the subject and as our church grows in the area of faith, promise, missions, giving. The largest givers in our church are those that have surrendered to missions. I don't think it's by accident that Paul highlighted there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, the churches there in Macedonia, when they gave so liberally out of their great poverty, the Bible says they first were willing to give 
themselves. You know what the battle is for? The body. You know what God wants? Your body. You know what Satan wants? Your body. That's why Paul told in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, listen, those were the, those were the Christians in Rome that were suffering persecution and death. A few years ago, I was able to travel to Rome with Brother Troy Green, and we went to the Colosseum. Turn my stomach. There's no city in the world that's more disgusting to me than the city of Rome. As we walk in that Colosseum, you can see in the floor of the Colosseum where they bring out those, those wild beasts and those animals to devour those Christians. And Paul said to them, I beseech you that you present your bodies living sacrifice. Here's what Orton said. Here was his philosophy. Everything I have, I give to my king. You know, maybe tonight would be a good start just to throw ourselves on this altar once again and say, God, I want you to know. I want you to know you have me. You want to use me? I don't care where, when, how, or why. I want to be used. That was his philosophy. Now, look at the argument. So here comes David, and he says, I want the threshing floor. And Arauna said, Ornan said, just take it. You can have it. It's all yours, including the animals for the sacrifice and the instruments for wood. And David said, oh, no, I want to pay full price. Now, look at the price that was paid. Let me ask you this. If you know anything about threshing floors, you know they're, they're not that large. They sit at the top of a hill because you need wind uh, in order to help you separate the grain from the chaff. But it was a small area, and David says, look what it says in verse 25. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold. That's paying too much. Now, depending on what you believe a shekel to be, most likely it's about 0.58 of a troy ounce. Which means if gold today sits at about in between $1,500 and $1,600 an ounce, he gave him just under a half a million dollars for a threshing floor smaller, about half the size of this room. Back then, a half a million dollars. I think the average person would look at that and say, boy, I think someone just got ripped off. But too costly was not part of David's thinking. Don't you think there are a few people that were around him that said, David, wait, wait, think about this for a minute. <laughs> How about if you let me negotiate and we'll get it for a better price? Now, Christian, I want you to think for a minute. When we're talking about missions. We're talking about reaching the world. We're talking about these countries with no gospel witness. We're talking about taking new missionaries on for support. We're talking about reaching every man everywhere. And when we look at the numbers, 7 billion people staggering to think about our responsibility in 2013. And the first thing that comes to our mind is, it is just too costly. That wasn't part of David's thought process. That wasn't part of Ornan's thought process. He said, I want it for the full price and 600... Hold, hold on for a second. How many of you think that was overpriced? Now, thinking logically, we would say so. But hold on for a minute. 
Don't you remember that David had wanted to build for God a place of permanent residence? Don't you remember that he was frustrated that he was living in a palace and he knew that God was residing in a place of tents and coverings? He said in Psalms 132, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go up to my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. But what he didn't know is God had already picked a place. 850 years earlier, remember when Abraham took his son up to the Mount, Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh, in the Mount of the Lord it shall be seen. This was a place known for its extreme sacrifice. Already handpicked by God. And when you think about Abraham and this faith promise, the faith promise of his son, which was symbolic of God the Father who'd one day offer his son, Jesus Christ, David's sacrifice of 600 shekels of gold kind of paled in comparison. Don't you think? But here's the deal. You would think he was paying too much. But this was the future site of the temple. Now look what it says in verse 16. David lifted up his eyes, saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven. Can you imagine this? This angel had just drawn the sword... Uh, and slain, slaughtered 70,000 men. And there stands the angel, and David sees the angel stand between the earth and the heaven, having drawn a sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, they fell upon their faces. David was sacrificing to change the plight of souls. So no cost was too great of a cost. Here's what I want you to see tonight. The angel with the sword drawn all across this planet. Souls. Seven billion souls. And amazingly, we can make a difference. Amazingly, we can help change, we can alter their destiny. That's what the missions conference is about. The missions conference is about what more can we do, and I believe it still revolves around finances. It still revolves around young men surrendering. It still revolves around doing more. And while many churches, many people have a philosophy, have an idea, no, now's the time to take a step back. Now's the time to do less. Now's the time to concern ourselves with survival. Folks, I want to step forward. I want to do more than I have ever done. Uh, you know what? Now's my opportunity to actually give something that may cost me something. I look at my house and my car and my clothes and my lifestyle and our vacation and everything else, and I thank God for all that he's allowed us to do. But in the end, I'd have to say, as much as we've given to missions, as much as we've given to the work of God, as much as we've invested in reaching the lost, I'm still living a pretty good life. I don't know how much it has truly cost me uh, 
to give. But he said, there stands an angel with a sword. And this is life and death for some people. I want to see number three. David was not spending money on a threshing floor. Now that's where some people say you're overspending. You're buying that for a half a million dollars? Have you lost your mind? He wasn't investing on a threshing floor, but rather investing it in a place of harvest. At the moment, I don't think David knew what he was buying. I don't think at this very moment he knew he was buying the Temple Mount. Look what it says in verse 18. The angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up, set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. This was not something he chose. This was something he was commanded to do. He was simply obeying a command. So it wasn't that he was looking at this hill and thinking about the temple that could be built. He was thinking about his sin. He was thinking about uh, the need to make a sacrifice. He was thinking about the sword being stayed. And when he heard the word of the Lord, he simply obeyed. And as a result, something very special happened. Now here's the problem. We often get to looking at our mission's investment and see it as a threshing floor. That's a lot of money to put in Africa. That's a lot of money to invest in Mexico. That's a lot of money to invest in that person with so few talents. Well, I don't think you know exactly what God is going to do there because the price may seem high, but look what it says in chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar, the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers who were in the land of Israel, and he set masons to hew rot stones to build the house of God. Now let me ask you this. Now looking back, what's the most valuable piece of property on the planet? Amen. The temple. He bought that, tried to buy that now for a half a million dollars. <laughs> Listen, when we're talking about an investment that stood the test of time, everything else he spent money on, it's gone. You can't locate it. You can't find it in a museum. It is absolutely disappeared from off the face of the earth. But he took a half a million dollars, invested it in a threshing floor, and God said, I can bless that, David. And boy, did he ever bless that. Folks, I'll tell you what, investing in these men. Did you know when you took Brother James Hoffmeister on what God was going to do in the country of Trinidad? Did you know when you sent that group down there and helped him plant the church, did you know the souls that would be saved and the institute that would be started and everything that would happen? Did you know when Brother Matt Johnson came through here what God would use him to do in Mexico? first time you visited that church and heard him preach to see what God was doing and now hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of souls being saved youth conference uh, two weeks ago 350 teenagers in that building packing every single corner souls being saved lives being changed 
Young people called to the ministry. Oh, you don't know at the moment. He had no clue when he bought this threshing floor and some of his servants were thinking, boy, I think he definitely paid the full price. That and more. But God blesses extreme sacrifice. Let me say it in a very, speaking grammatically, improper way. God extremely blesses extreme sacrifice. Now, think about Ornan, who the Bible says in verse 28, was a Jebusite. They were among the nations that were doomed for their iniquities. They were the accursed of Canaan. I love when God talks about missions in the Old Testament, and this is one of those times. I want you to think about this for a minute. Remember the Jews, how they so loved to proclaim, we are the temple, we are the temple of God. And I think God was saying, attacking their Jewish pride and saying, yeah, but your temple was built upon the threshing floor of a Jebusite. And by the way, the one that built it, he had Gentile blood in him. His great-grandma was Ruth, right? And I think David had a worldwide vision because in Psalm 72, 19, he said, Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. That was his desire. Now, here's what God said. I'm going to help fulfill your desire. Look what it said in chapter 22, verse 5. David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding and magnificent of the fame and of the glory. Look what it says. Throughout all countries. Was this a missions-minded man? Was he thinking about all the countries of the world? This is not an accidental statement. When he pulled out $500,000, he couldn't have done more for worldwide missions to get the gospel out. Listen, he was about ready to help fund the project and build a building where people for hundreds of years, for centuries would come and confess their sin and receive a forgiveness. Lives would be changed. Others would come to make sacrifice. All off a faith promise of 500,000 because he said, I won't offer anything that costs me nothing. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles. His dream was fulfilled through his son. 2 Chronicles 6, 33, when Solomon was dedicating the temple, he prays and said, Then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee as that thy people Israel and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. What is the thought when the temple was built that all people of the earth may know thy name? 
It's amazing what God was doing through that sacrificial gift. People, I want to make this real practical before we finish. We really have become a product of our generation. Our generation has said, if you can't see the result of your investment, it's a bad investment. So people are willing to sacrifice when it comes to their church because they can see it. But actually that's a little bit of selfish giving because we're giving for our own pleasure, for our own enjoyment. Wouldn't you say? Now, I'm all for buildings and building funds and We've started one, and we need to build, and we need a bigger parking lot. We need, some of you have been there. You know we need more space. But I refuse to do it at the cost of missions. Because in the end, really, I feel like at times I'm putting money from my left-hand pocket into my right-hand pocket because it's a nicer chair for me and a bigger auditorium for me and a better place for Capital City Baptist Church. But when you give to missions, it's selfless. Because most of what you do will never be seen. Most of your sacrifice will never be personally enjoyed. Now, let's look for a few minutes at the benefits of this sacrificial gift. Number one, go back with me to verse 18. When he gave this gift, when he bought this threshing floor, when he made this sacrifice, the angel of the Lord commanded God to say to David that David should go up, set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor. Verse 28, at that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor at morning, then he sacrificed, and look what happens, verse 27, the Lord commanded the angel and he put up his sword again into the sheath. This angel stopped for a moment to see if David would obey. And when he made that sacrifice, God told the angel, sheath your sword. You know what our sacrifice does? You know what your sacrifice has done in Zambia and the Canary Islands, Romania? For many hundreds of people, it has sheathed the sword. And if it were but one, it'd be worth it. If it were just one life, if it were just one person, if it were just one mother, one brother, one child, it'd be worth the investment. But it's not one, it's hundreds. Number two, it became an investment in a man. I want you to think about this for a minute. This sacrificial giving it became an investment in a man, Solomon, that would build a great temple that would be used to spread God's name throughout the whole earth. Is that not missions? Don't we invest in a man so that they can build a church that can be used to spread God's name throughout the earth? Number three, it was an eternal investment in the work of God that would be a blessing for generations. Let me ask you this. The money you're spending or investing, where besides missions or God's work can you guarantee it's an eternal investment? Have you ever thought about David's palace and everything he had? Can you imagine how ornate that place must have been? But in the end, it all disappeared. 
You probably can't even find the location of his palace, but you can still go to the Temple Mount. You can still find the basic spot of that threshing floor. 600 shekels of gold. Now, hold on for a second. Now we got to the message. This was an investment in a man and in a work that David would personally never be able to see or enjoy ever. Think about this. How many of you have ever seen missionaries come through and you, you've seen the work and you've seen everything that's happening around Uganda? Boy, I love what's going on in Uganda. I love what's going on in China. I love what's going on in Mexico. I love what's going on in certain places of the world. Have you ever sat there and you watched the slides and you saw everything that was happening and you raised your hand and you whispered a prayer to God and you said, God, you know, I'm, you know, hey, anytime you want, you want someone, I'm right here. I'm willing. I wish you would call me. I wish you'd go ahead and lead me. I wish you'd direct me. And he doesn't. That was David. Time after time he was saying, God, pick me, use me. I want to be the one that builds that work. And God said, no, I'm going to use another man. But what I'm going to do is use you to finance the work of that other man. You get to be the one that invests in the project that's made. You just don't get to see. You'll never get to walk through those doors of that magnificent temple. You'll never get to offer a sacrifice on those temple grounds. You'll never see one of those priests in their priestly robe. You'll never get to experience all that takes place on the temple grounds. But here's what you can do. You can finance it. You can be the one that pays for it. And David said, glory to God. I'll take that responsibility. Look what it says in verse 3. David prepared iron in abundance. Brass in abundance, cedar trees in abundance. And he said to that young man whose heart was tender, oh, here's what I want our missionaries, these young men that God is raising up, rearing up, that he'll send to the foreign field. In their tenderness of heart, I want them to know I'm behind you and I want to finance your work. God hasn't called me. God hasn't allowed me to go. I'm not sad. I'm not mad I'm happy to be a part of that work. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to gather in abundance. The Lord must be exceeding. This work must be exceeding magnificent of fame and of glory. Here's what we want throughout all the country. So David prepared how? Preacher, what do I do? I'm 50 years old. I'm 60 years old. You can prepare abundantly for the work of those that this church is going to send out. David said, God, if you don't want me to raise the temple, I can raise the funds and everything else for the building of the temple. Look what it says in verse in chapter 29. Watch this man give. And by giving, you accomplish anyway something through someone else that you can't do yourself. So why are we not motivated to give? Here's David. Look at his giving spirit. Furthermore, David the king said to all the congregation, Solomon, my son, look at the joy that he has introducing this missionary. My son whom alone God hath chosen. Don't you love doing that, Brother Camelot? Don't you love taking these young men that you've invested in and you've worked with and you've prayed for and you've cried over and you've walked through those 
trees and you've begged God to do something special with them. And now you get to stand up and say, Solomon, my son, whom God had chosen, he didn't pick me to go to Uganda. He didn't pick me to go to China. He didn't pick me to enjoy that harvest and enjoy that magnificent work. But you know how that man's going? I'm preparing before my death in abundance. The work is great. His heart is tender. This is not for man. Look what he says. But for the Lord, and I have prepared with all my might. How many could say that? For the house of my God, the gold for the things to be made of gold, the silver for the things... And thank God for the investment of these men. They've invested in your character for things that need character. And they've invested the word of God in you and pumped it in you and pumped it in you so you can preach it out. The things for gold, they've invested gold. The things of silver, they've invested silver. Say, boy, we're going to make the right investment so we get the right return. Verse 3, moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, a house that I'll never see. Now, let me ask you this. Can you say, I have set my affection on the house of God there in Romania and the house of God there in the Canary Islands and the house of God there in Zambia, or is your only affection set towards this house that will see very few stir the baptismal waters? How about if you set your affection on something even larger than that? Here's what he says, I have of mine own proper good gold and silver which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that. He said everything that I prepared, then I prepared more. When I got done preparing, I said, wait a minute. There's still Gillespie. There's still Lieb. There's still Dambrin. We're going to prepare more. And Solomon said, Dad, what do you think if we raise the dimensions and David said, let's do it. The bigger, the better. What do you think about a temple courtyard that will hold thousands and thousands that want to come and make sacrifice and know God? And David said, let's pay for that too. I have given it a house. I might got over and above all. Verse 4, even 3,000 talents of gold. Now hold on for a second. We're talking about today's value, two and a half million. He said, listen, everything that I prepared, now I went to my bank account and I found two and a half million dollars in gold. I'm going to send that. Boy, it's quiet. He said, when, you know what this kind of giving is contagious because what did the people do when they saw David's example in verse 5? The people rejoiced for that they offered willingly and with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Well, let's go back to chapter 21 we'll be done. How did all this start? Verse 17. David said to God, it is not I that commanded the people to be numbered. Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. You know where all this started? When a man said, I went out and numbered the people, that was a lack of faith. And it's cost lives. 
my lack of faith has cost thousands. Yea, 70,000. I wonder our lack of faith, how many lives it's cost. Because we refuse to sacrifice and we give superficially, we say, you know what? What I can do without it really cost me anything. Literally thousands, yea, millions of lives have perished. David had come to the point, he said, listen, I number I, I was doing something that wasn't of faith and it displeased God. And he said, I have sinned indeed. And here's what we have at missions conferences. Preacher, I have yet to see any true repentance. I've never seen someone at a missions conference throw themselves down on the altar and say, my lack of faith has displeased God and I have sinned indeed. So you know what, I'll see if I can do something else this year. Here's where missions changes when we throw ourselves on the altar and say, you know what we're doing? We're counting, we're numbering our possessions at missions conference. Isn't it funny that we're committing the very sin that impedes our faith and calling it spiritual because at the end of the week, before we ever make a faith promise, you know what we do? We number the people. We take a look at all of our goods and say, okay, let's see what God can do through my goods. Because I said, no, sir. It's not faith. Took a change of heart and a confession of soul. Took a man willing to confront his sin and say, my lack of faith is sin indeed. And when he confessed, and he made that sacrifice, and he seemingly threw money to the wind, $500,000. God said, David, right here, this is the place. This place right here, thousands Thousands of people will come to me right here, right here on these grounds. 